Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 114 of the Speaking Club podcast. Sadly, my daughter Izzy and I are separated during lockdown, but I think it's really helped us communicate more authentically because being paused five times in a minute-long conversation has made it obvious to me that she doesn't listen to a word I'm saying. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, thanks for joining me again. I hope you're safe and well and staying positive in these crazy times. But I've got some good stuff I want to talk to you about today. Now, there's one common factor I've noticed time and time again in relation to people who make it, whatever field or industry that they're in. And that common factor is that those who achieve success don't live their lives based on expectations. They set their own course. The path that they follow is based on what's possible and it's available to all of us equally, although it's one that few people choose to tread. In this show, I want to explore why that is and the difference between what is probable versus what is possible so that you can choose a new perspective and path for yourself to achieve the success you want in speaking, business and life. But before I kick off properly, I just wanted to invite you to check out the Facebook group for the Speaking Club podcast. It's called the Speaking Club Facebook Hub. And in there, you'll be able to get podcast bonuses, plus support from me with your speaking, storytelling, humour and content marketing too, and a community with like-minded speakers and entrepreneurs. I'll pop the link in the show notes and it would be lovely to meet you in there. Okay, let's get into this. So I want to take you back in time to 1979. I was eight years old. That year was when I did a sponsored swim to help children in the third world. And at the time, my family lived in a middle floor flat in London. My great aunt and uncle lived on the top floor and my grandma and grandpa lived on the ground floor flat. It was a bit like a vertical version of the Bucket family in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, only with more beds. And I remember being really excited about the sponsored swim and running from flat to flat to get my family to sponsor me. And I had to ask them to pledge an amount for each length of the pool I did. Mum and Dad sponsored me 50p per length. Grandma and Grandpa did 25p and my great aunt and uncle did the same. And we phoned round a few more relatives and friends and they all chipped in. And the evening of the sponsored swim arrived. I stood on the side of the pool at the Dryburg Hall in Putney and I looked up at the stands and waved. I felt so happy that my family had come to watch. I pulled my goggles over my swimming cap And as I jumped into the pool, I thought about how every length I did would feed some hungry children. And after a few lengths, I looked up to see Grandma, Mum and the rest smiling and cheering. And I kept swimming. I wanted to make them proud. And for each length, I said to myself, that's another meal for a child. That's another one. 
I didn't look up again for a while, but when I did, I saw that my family weren't looking quite as enthusiastic, but they all waved when they saw me looking. I kept swimming, my mantra about meals keeping me going as the other children began to stop and climb out of the pool. And about 10 lengths later, I looked up at the stands again and my family were looking subdued, although I didn't know what that word meant at the time. (laughs) And my mum even looked a bit worried, although she did manage a little smile and a thumbs up when she saw me. I was a bit confused by what I'd seen, but I swam on and eventually I realised I was the last one in the pool and I was really tired. But I imagined the little children's faces smiling as they got their meal and that kept me going for the last few lengths before I had to stop. I clambered out and the people in the stands clapped. And my family came over and said how proud they were before my Spanish grandpa said, Sarah, don't ask me to sponsor you again. You cost me a bloody fortune. My grandma said, Oh, don't pay any attention to your grandfather, darling. You did very well. It's just that we weren't expecting you to do more than ten lengths. I said, How many did I do? And my dad said, You did 38, which has cost me 19 quid. Just to put this in context, back in 1979, petrol was 22p a litre. A weekly shop cost £4.12 and £100 was worth nearly 500 in today's money. So the third world children got a lot of meals and that was the last time my family sponsored me. Now the point of this story is that my family based their sponsorship pledges on the number of lengths they expected me to swim based on what was probable for an eight-year-old child. Unfortunately for them, I had no expectations about the number of lengths I could or should do. I was driven by the faces of the little children, being very competitive and wanting to make my family proud. And to me, anything seemed possible. See, as children, we're not limited and weighed down by assumptions and expectations and the possibilities seem endless. And I've noticed in business too that it can be a strength to be young or naive, operating from what is possible rather than what is probable. So let's take a look at these expectations and the different ways they can slow us down and stop us. So too much information can paralyse us. Maybe we've got too many choices or we focus on all the reasons why something won't work. And I think it's important here to be selective about what we research and who we listen to. Another expectation is based on other people's opinions of us or what we're trying to do. And they can get in our head and lead to doubt and second guessing. You see, people who have known us for a while, I have learned this from experience, they can often struggle when we want to do something new and break out of the box that they've put us in. It not only challenges their perception of us, but their perception of themselves. So you might want to keep your plans to yourself until you've implemented your idea. And then there's our own baggage, how things have gone down in the past for us, and that can stop us even trying in the first place. But I think it's important here on this one to treat our past as a springboard for success rather than an excuse not to start. 
And then there's another type of expectation. There's, there's a term for it, and it's how our expectations can get in the way of us shining in the moment. And it's called l'esprit de l'escalier, which translates into staircase wit. And this was a phrase coined in 1882 by William Lewis Hertzlet in his best-selling book, Der Treppenwitz der Weltgeschichte, or Staircase Wit of the World. And in that book, he said, Afterwards, when we slowly descend the stairs, we are suddenly much smarter than before. And this obviously refers to the clear, polished ideas and opinions that pop into our minds just after we need them. When we've left the interview, or the date's ended, or after the argument. And it's still relevant today, because I'm sure you've experienced it yourself. I know I have. And studies into this phenomenon have shown that the reason we can't come up with the amazing stuff in the moment is because we're putting too much pressure on ourselves. We choke because we want to appear clever or funny, so we overthink our response and our minds go blank. And the antidote here is something you'll have heard me go on about before. Letting go and trusting ourselves. Pausing before we open our mouth to speak is good, but only if we're going to formulate a response based on our ideas and experience. That pause is not good for thinking about how you need or want what we're going to say to come across. So just last week, I had to take myself to one side and tackle some of my own baggage based on expectations. So I did a meditation. And during that meditation, three things came up that were the catalyst for this episode. The first was something my mentors have been asking me. Who and how would I be if my success was inevitable? The second thing that came up was Edison. And the third was the word abundance. And there are role models, the people who have made it that I mentioned at the start of the show for the mindset that I'm working to adopt. And I hope that this show helps you begin to adopt it too, if you're not already there, which you may well be. So these people, these role models are like Edison, who had 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb, and who said, many of life's failures are people who didn't know how close they were to success when they gave up. Henry Ford, who would not be swayed from his vision of an engine even though his engineers kept telling him it was impossible. Then J.K. Rowling was another one, whose synopsis of Harry Potter was rejected by 12 publishers. And Roger Bannister, who broke the four-minute mile when everyone said it wasn't possible. Not only were all of those people living from possibility rather than probability and expectations, but they truly believed that their success was inevitable and that it was a matter of when and not if. Now, in the midst of this particular crisis is the time that many people will give up on their dream. But I hope you don't. Now is the time to be acting and behaving as if it's just a matter of when and not if our success happens. Yes, the rug may have been pulled from underneath the plans that you made. It has been for me too. The landscape may have changed. It has for me too. 
But this new landscape might offer up better way forward and new opportunities. And this crisis and any challenge or obstacle that comes up on our journey to achieving our goals and dreams will cause fear. But fear is an indicator that we're on the right path. I talked about fear last time. And it's just like public speaking, the masses won't want to face the fear, but the few who do will win. How fearful must J.K. Rowling have been when she was writing Harry Potter? In her own words, she said, An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, a lone parent, and as poor as it's possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. By every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. But she was determined to be a published author, and she believed in Harry Potter. And look how that turned out. We need to let fear be our compass and move towards what scares us. Obviously, there are exceptions. If that fear is due to a tiger or someone coughing within six feet of us or Carol Baskin, then maybe don't move towards it. Otherwise, being outside our comfort zone is what makes us grow into what we need to be for success to be inevitable. So I hope that's given you food for thought if you're feeling like I was. And if you could do with a place to share and get some support, do come over and join the Speaking Club Facebook Hub Facebook group. Okay, your takeaways for this episode are don't underestimate your children when they want you to sponsor them. Live and work from possibility rather than expectations and probability. Be selective about how much you research you do and who you listen to. Be reserved about what you share and with who when you're starting out. Channel Edison, Ford, Rowling, Bannister and other people like them and take the positives from your failures to be a springboard to your success. Let go and trust that the right words and actions will come if you're intentional and true to yourself. And finally, use fear as your compass that you're on the right path. But thank you so much for joining me again. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating and review for The Speaking Club on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And please, as I always say, feel free to share it with anyone else you think might benefit. Now, next week, I have Mike Michalowicz joining me with some great financial, business and speaking advice. So make sure you subscribe. Stay safe and don't forget to grab your life by the nuts and stay holding on to your dream. Bye-bye. You don't need to waste more time searching for an answer when the most powerful tools to becoming a great speaker and growing your business are already in your possession, your stories. The trouble is that many people believe that either they haven't got a story to tell or that you need to be a natural-born storyteller to use them successfully. But neither of these things are true. Everyone has stories, And I want to help you discover yours and share them more powerfully with my new freebie, My Story Wizard. In three steps, it's going to guide you to find your stories, power them up with humor and other tricks, and share them in a way that connects with your audience and sells your thing. If that sounds good to you, then head over to mystorywizard.com and go and grab yours right now.